Tepping the Keg Daily is live for Monday. It is January 22nd. We'll talk about the Green Bay Packers providing yet another edition of Heartbreak in January, but hope is on the horizon. We'll also do Golden Kegs from that game, best and worst from the Packer Niners affair. We will talk about the Milwaukee Bucks continuing to play with their food against bad teams and why that's a concern. Also concerning was the Marquette Golden Eagles pulling that one out against St. John's. Glad they won. Will not apologize for a Big East road win, but that was concerning. It is a absolutely loaded show, uh, but before we get going, social media, X or Twitter, tapping the keg. Uh, Tapping the Keg Sports on TikTok as well as Instagram. The TikTok reviews have been out of this fucking world. I have no idea why they're getting so many views, but thank you if you're new and you're joining from those. Uh, I would love to have you. Hopefully you guys are going to be here uh, long-term. Also on Facebook, Tapping the Keg Sports. Uh, Make sure that you're following on those if you're not. Uh, And if you are coming in and you're new uh, to the program, we do these podcasts four days a week. We don't stop because the Packers are over. We'll talk a lot more about the Milwaukee Bucks, the Marquette Golden Eagles. We'll talk about the Milwaukee Brewers. I don't think we'll get to Badger basketball. I'm not a Badger basketball fan. Uh, so it's hard to disappoint if you guys are like, where's been the Badger basketball talk yet? Not a fan of them. Uh, but we'll definitely talk about the others um, for the remainder of you know this time period. Uh, and yeah, whatever happens in the Green Bay offseason as well, uh, four days a week. Uh, schedule changes based on games, right? Uh, but the last few have been Monday, Tuesday shows, off on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That is exactly what we are doing this week. Uh, Mitch will be joining me for our weekly show on Friday. Uh, so stay tuned for that. But yeah, Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast. Make sure you subscribe, uh, and if you want to leave a review, we wouldn't hate that either, but if you don't want to leave a review, just tell your friends about us. Drop this in the group chat. Say, hey, it's a little bit different. Not only are they talking about the Packers, but they're also talking about the Bucks. They're also talking about Marquette. They're doing it all within one podcast. All right, enough of, enough of the promotion. Let's get to the therapy session and the Green Bay Packers providing another heartbreak. Here we go again, right? Here we go again. The agreement Packers and heartbreaks in January go about as well as cold in January in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, the Packers losing again in the playoffs in painstaking fashion. I've said it on this podcast a lot, probably after we lost to San Francisco in 2022, uh, after we lost to Tampa Bay in 2020 or 2021, that is. when you're a good team, you're going to have bad playoff losses. This stuff is going to keep happening to you. I know people are like, why does this keep happening to the Packers? Why is he? Well, the Packers are really fucking good. Okay. Only one team wins a championship. So there's going to be a lot of heartbreaks for the other 13 teams. I didn't feel this way this morning when I woke up from my hangover state where I felt like I was like, I wish we just would have got blown off the face of this earth and we could have all just started drinking, had a good time, and it would have just, you would be able to wash it away. You wouldn't necessarily need to think about it. But the more I thought about it, the more that I loved that the Packers were in the fight till the end and that it wasn't like Houston and that it didn't seem a whiff of fraudulent, that the Packers were right there. The Packers were likely the 
second best loser. I mean, you could argue at them in Buffalo, you know, a couple plays go their way and the Packers and the Bills are in the respective championship games and not the lot and not the uh, Chiefs and 49ers. But that's just football. That's just what happens. So the Packers getting run over yet again is frustrating. It's sad. It's it's all of those things rolled into one. And especially when you didn't expect it at all. Like when we, it's October, you would have said, oh, you're going to go to the divisional playoffs and it, or divisional round and it's going to end in similar fashions that you've had in the past. Maybe you even take it as, as much as sick as that is, as much of a sick old thing it is. You're like, fuck, I'll take that. I'd rather do that than be ass and be a terrible football team, right? And Green Bay was playing with house money. We said it all the time and they were rolling. And it seemed like they were going to hit it big like Ross Griswold in Vegas vacation where there's, he has no business winning as much money as he is on the craps table. And he is just on an epic fucking heater. But everybody found out about Mr. Papa Giorgio. And that's exactly what happened to the Green Bay Packers. Everybody figured out that they weren't supposed to be there, including the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers were like that golfer in the Masters on hole 12 who has never won a major. And all of a sudden, they're like, holy shit, I'm about to win the Masters. And the Packers were like, holy shit, we're about to beat not only the two seed, but the one seed, this 49ers team that has been a pain in our ass for the last five years. We're finally going to get this done. And then all the nerves started to set in. And all of a sudden, you started to see this young team kind of rear its ugly head. And a team without the experience, without the resolve, where they basically kind of lost and they don't score in the fourth quarter after a 15-point third quarter. And now, yes, there was a field goal miss in that, which we'll talk about here in a second. But Green Bay got tight. And all of a sudden, they looked like that young team again. And that was bound to happen at some point, whether it was this week, whether it was next week, whether it was the Super Bowl, at some point, the Green Bay Packers would realize that this is, this is almost too soon, that this, this shouldn't have happened, that what, what the fuck are they even doing here? But, you know, that's okay. That's okay. It sucks. It sucks that it happened that way. It sucks that you know, Jordan Love had two, his two worst passes of the day were intercepted and Brock Purdy threw multiple that were worse and it didn't, it didn't resolve in a pick. But that's football sometimes. Green Bay should have won that football game. It was not a collapse like 2014 or a quarterback trying to prove a point in 2022. The Niners made a few more plays than the Packers did in the fourth quarter, and that's what ultimately caused the Packers to demise. There are a host of things that we could point to that could have changed this game on a dime. Jordan Love missing Aaron Jones on an easy route that he has hit for the last three weeks in the fourth quarter. Joe Barry deciding to revert back to the Barry that we all knew in the waning moments, trying not to get beat and basically playing to lose or pre like prevent defense. And we all know what they say about prevent defense. And then Anders Carlson doing the thing that he did all year and missing big kicks where if just Anders would have made it, 
the Packers would have won. That happened in the Denver game. That happened in the Atlanta game. There were there were games this year where or no, uh, there was another game. I don't think it was Atlanta, but Anders Carlson has caused more harm than than be helpful, and it is a disaster for the Green Bay Packers. And you guys have heard me on this podcast before talk about that one thing that that one thing can then can just rear its ugly head at the wrong moment. That has been a problem for you all year. I thought for the Green Bay Packers, it would be undisciplined. Like I thought, you know, the Green Bay Packers had a lot of problems with penalties this season. I thought that is going to be the thing that comes back to bite them in the ass. That will be the thing. I didn't know that it was going to be this kicker that Rich Bisaccia pounded on the table for, that wanted him, even though he struggled at Auburn. It didn't matter because Rich Bisaccia wanted Anders Carlson, and yet they didn't fucking fix him all season. Here's this from Andy Herman about Anders Carlson. He ended the season four of nine from 40 or 49, from 40 to 49 yards out, including one of his last four. He is a rookie, but at the same point, and it's just, it's inexcusable. You can't keep this this from happening. Mason Crosby I thought was washed up. I thought that there was good reason to not bring Mason Crosby back. Mason Crosby had did not have the leg that he used to. And Mason Crosby was also making a lot of fucking money. I do think middle of this year, they could have put Carlson on the practice squad. Now, maybe you would have got claimed that that was a risk you take and you bring back Crosby or you bring more competition in for Carlson. Carlson never felt the fucking heat he was basically given this job all season and there was zero accountability. And that ultimately decided the game. But obviously there, there was so much more that, that happened that, that could have easily you know, won the Packers this game. Brock Purdy you know, made some big throws on third down to Juwan Jennings, to Brandon Ayuk. Uh, you know, there was... There were missed INTs. Like, there were so many other things that you can point to where it's not just Carlson. Tyler Bass is in the same boat as Anders Carlson, but I actually think Carlson's is way worse than Bass's because Carlson had a chance to push Green Bay out in front by seven points, and the Niners would have tied it, and we would have went to probably overtime. And who knows what happens there, right? We have no idea where, where this game would have went. But in that has been a, that was a lot of the Packers season this year was the coulda woulda shoulda games they had how many this season Atlanta Denver Las Vegas Pittsburgh those were all games the Packers could have easily won or could have easily won Giants won I I don't think so I know you could say the Giants. But that game was so weird. The Packers did not play well. That was a collectively bad loss. And now San Francisco is added to that list. It hurts, but it, it, it really isn't the end. This isn't just the closing of a window. This is the opening of a window. This is the beginning of something brand new for the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers are going to be among the NFC elite again. After a one and a half year hiatus after 2022 uh, went off the rails as it did, 
Green Bay Packers are back in that elite position. For those who love noon games, I have bad news for you. We're going back to 325s and 720s and Monday Night Football, and the Packers will be prominently featured in primetime all season next year. It'll be A, because they have matchups, but B, because Jordan Love is going to be a talking point in the NFL media circles. Jordan Love is going to be one of the favorites for MVP next season. The Green Bay Packers are going to have great odds to get to the Super Bowl or to win the Super Bowl. That is what the Green Bay Packers are going into next year. Now, that'll be a newfound pressure, and we'll talk a lot about that probably in August and September when we get closer to the season. But right now, what we can look at is that the future is really fucking bright. I really push back on this idea where it's like, you can't be sort of happy. You have to, you know, be sullen and like, why does this happen to the Packers? And you never know when the next opportunity is going to come. Look, they're the youngest roster in the league. Jordan Love, yes, is, needs to get paid. That's going to affect, you know, who's who you keep, who you don't. And that will kind of change a little bit of the dynamics. But the window for Aaron Rodgers stayed open for a long fucking time. The window for Jordan Love has just opened. Will there be seasons that go off the rails? Yes, Aaron Rodgers had 2013. We had 2017. We had 2018. There are seasons where it's just not your time. But then there are other seasons where you will yourself to a playoff appearance like this year. And there's other seasons where you're just the fucking best. 2011. Now, granted, the Packers lost that one in the second round, but you catch my drift. There are every season is different. But to act like this might not happen again is plain bullshit because you have a franchise quarterback and franchise quarterbacks usually lead you to this place again. Look at Baltimore. Baltimore had a couple bad years. People wondering if Jim John Harbaugh should keep his job, if they should try something new. They teams could have probably signed Lamar this season and he, he came back to the Ravens, right? So like there was a lot of questions about this Baltimore team and they fixed a lot of them. And now to me, I think they're going to win the Super Bowl. I think Baltimore is the best team that I have seen, you know, throughout these two weeks. And I just think they're, I don't know if I want to say head and shoulders above everybody else, but they are, they are, I think, significantly better than everybody else that's left in this dance. So like that, to go back to the window conversation, like that, there are going to be lean years. There are going to be years where it doesn't work out. There are going to be years where there's too many injuries. Look at Cincinnati, right? Cincinnati was in a Super Bowl, and then they were in the AFC Championship game last season. And now they missed the playoffs this year because Joe Burrow gets hurt, and and they have a ton of injuries. And Lou Amaretto, or Amaretto, uh, big, we'll just call him Big Lou. Uh, his defense gets exposed because they lose some guys and, and they weren't able to sort of replicate what they had done in the past. Uh, like, there are going to be opportunities again. This is going to come around again. And let's just, let's just be honest with ourselves. Or do we really think the Packers would have went into Detroit and then would have gone in to beat either the Ravens or the Chiefs. A Chiefs team, yes, they had already beat, 
but a Chiefs team that looks different, right? They look different in the playoffs. You could not dispute that. Do we really think that that would have happened? I, I don't. I, I mean, I think we're delaying the inevitable. I know that makes me sound like a bad fan. I also couldn't fathom losing to the Lions next week because you'd have two weeks of Dan Campbell. You have two weeks about the tortured Lions fan base. You have two weeks about them beating Big Brother in the playoffs when it mattered the most. And I think the Packers would have beat that Lions team, but that game would have been hard. That game would have been difficult. It would not have been like we had in Chicago where I feel like it was a little bit more of an even playing field because they were, it was outside, it was Packer Bear weather, and that Bears team just had an awesome fucking defense, but their their offense had been flailing, and then Jay Cutler gets hurt, and that's I has to be for a lot of Bears fans the biggest what if of you know their century, their lifetime, right? I really think that yes, while it sucks, and while yeah, maybe the Packers will never get back here. This isn't like a out of nowhere story where. I'm trying to think like Joe Flack, I guess Joe Flack would be the example, like a, a quarterback off the streets has taken this team to the promised land and they, they just haven't had success. And this isn't, you know, built for a sustainable future. The Packers are as promising as any team in the NFL right now. There are not, there's not a team in my opinion that has a brighter future than maybe the Detroit Lions, as weird as that sounds. Like it might be the Lions and the Packers and those might be the two teams that have like the brightest futures right now that are left. But it's, so it's it's not over. It's not like this isn't gonna happen again. The Packers are going to learn from this. They are gonna get better. They are going to, they have six draft picks in the first 102 picks of this next NFL draft. And we're gonna talk about sort of off-season checklist stuff on tomorrow's podcast. I don't wanna go too far deep into it, but that's gonna make this team better. They're also going to hopefully improve the defense. I don't know how anyone could say Joe Barry deserves to keep his job, but he might. Um, But I think Green Bay needs to have a long look in the mirror and know that opportunity is at the door. And I also know that it's Mark Murphy's last year as chairman of the Green Bay Packers. And I will tell you, I believe Mark Murphy is going to want a Super Bowl. And while that seemed out of reach, now it is in reach. And oh yeah, by the way, on top of that all, Packers have the NFL draft that, that April. So the Super Bowl champion, defending Super Bowl champion Green Bay Packers are hosting the draft. Trust me, when I think that Green Bay is going to be more aggressive than I think we've seen in a long time. And we'll talk more about that tomorrow. But I I think if you're down in the dumps, driving to work, or you're listening to this in the cubes, or heading home, or I don't know if any of you take me to the gym. Side note, I think it's kind of weird listening to podcasts in the gym, but do you. I'm not judging. Just know, like, pick your head up. Like, it's, the, the road, the road has just started. We are not at the end. This isn't a last stage of Aaron Rodgers wondering if he's going to even play football again. We got a lot more years of this shit and it's going to be really fucking fun. Even if Saturday hurt like hell and I cannot wait for the next era of Packer football. 
Moving on to golden kegs. We do this every week for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, five to one, five being the best, one being the worst. Uh, let's start with Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones had another great game. Five straight games of over 100 yards for Aaron Jones. He's the only Packer running back to do that. Uh, and he had eight for 18 for 108, uh, averaged six yards per carry, broke a 53-yard run uh, in the second half. I, I mean, when that happened, that kind of felt like the moment that like where it was like, oh my God, Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones has done this. He busted the first play after the 49ers had punt had punted. The Packers have this four-point lead and and oh man. It's just you just wonder. Like if if they get that and they score there. Uh, the Packers are up 28 to 17. And it's, yeah, we're, we're playing Detroit next week. Uh, but that was an incredible game from Aaron Jones. Um, I know they have some things to do with his contract. You do not let Aaron Jones leave. That guy is the heart and soul of this Packers team. He is the next generation of Leroy Butler, Donald Driver. Uh, it, like he is a Packer for fucking life, as far as I'm concerned. And until Aaron Jones shows that he doesn't have it, you keep that guy on the roster. And so I, I think Aaron Jones is here to stay. And he's just, well, just an incredible finish to his year. Uh, five kegs to Kenny Clark. I, Kenny Clark was all over the football field in this game. Uh, I, I thought Kenny Clark played wonderfully. Uh, he was, you know, aggressive, you know, in terms of rushing a passer, in terms of, you know, keeping Christian McCaffrey somewhat at bay. I know McCaffrey still had a, a pretty solid, solid game, but Kenny Clark really played well and was just absolutely everywhere. Uh, he's another guy that they have to make a decision on in terms of contracts. And I know they don't give a lot of guys, you know, the third contract, but Kenny Clark's 28. I think Kenny Clark, you give a third contract to. You have a very talented young defensive line that, you know, they they can be really, really good. Robert Mays pointed that out, that they have all these guys that are talented and under 26. And you can even add to that, you know, in this draft coming up. But I, I think Kenny Clark's done a lot, you know, down the stretch this year. I thought he was really good to finish off the year. Uh, five keg to Eric Wilson, uh, great special teams play. I mean, had the Packers won that game, Eric Wilson would have been the kind of the guy that everybody would talk about. He would have been the unsung hero. And it gets forgotten because they lose, but Eric, Eric Wilson recovers a fumble that happens with Kashawn Nixon as he's taking back a kick and fumbles it around the 30. And it was near this, it could have been an absolutely heartbreaking stomp on your dick moment and Wilson recovers the fumble basically kind of in midair and is the hero of the game for the moment. Um, but it, it wasn't meant to be. But he's a solid special team player. And, you know, I, what's weird is that other than the field goal, you know, kick, the special teams really played well in this game. Uh, they did what they did their job, uh, except for the kicking operation. Uh, four kegs to Romeo Dobbs. What a postseason for Romeo Dobbs. Four catches, 83 yards. Just when you thought that Romeo Dobbs might be the odd man out in terms of the wide receiver discussion, he's kind of shown why, why he matters. And I, I hope that this is the version of Romeo Dobbs that we see next season. I think he can be this. 
I don't know if there is a true wide receiver one on this football team, but as it's been talked about, I don't know if it matters. Uh, but I I was impressed with Romeo Dobbs really all all postseason and had another solid game. 30, the 38-yard catch was impressive, but also the catch on the sidelines, which was more a Jordan Love throw than a Dobbs catch. But Dobbs, I mean, keeps the feet in bounds and sets the Packers up right there at the goal line. Uh, Rasheed Walker also getting a four keg for me. Uh, Rasheed Walker had an inc- had just a great finish to the year. I was calling for Rasheed Walker's job, I think around that Rams game or Viking. It might have been the Vikings game where I was like, I don't know why they keep giving Rasheed Walker snaps. He really proved me wrong down the stretch. And he's been really talented and really good. And yet again, the Green Bay Packers have done it with a left tackle in the latter, later parts of the draft. And he looks like a guy that can play next year and be a starter on the Green Bay Packers, which leads to a conversation about David Bakhtiari and what you do there. But Rashid Walker held his ground. Uh, and he had a really nice one-on-one with Nick Bosa that I saw on you know, X today. And I, I felt like, yeah, Rashid Walker has really, really played well that, down the stretch. Uh, three kegs, Jordan Love. Look, I, this was not the same game we saw against Dallas. I mean, it's hard to have that game again, right? Uh, Jordan Love, 194, two touchdowns, two interceptions. His quarterback rating was 72.4 in this one. Uh, you know, the both the interceptions were tough because he just, he zings it to Tucker Kraft. It hits Kraft's hands, goes right to Drake Greenlaw, who's right there. And then he, does, he throws across his body, a la Brett Favre, and that's that's the game sealer. And it goes right to Dre Greenlaw again. And Dre, Dre Greenlaw is able to pull that down. It's it's Love's worst quarterback rating since the Giants game. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, I, I don't think that it's like, hey, all of a sudden, maybe, you know, this heater, it, it, he isn't the guy. Like, one game should not define Jordan Love, just like one game should not define Josh Allen. Although I, I will add that Josh Allen doing the Aaron Rodgers hero ball at the end just shows you a guy who's pressing to win and not having a coach that can settle him down and tell him to take the easy throws. Uh, I think you just, you see that on full display. Uh, and yeah, there will be people who call Jordan Love a system quarterback. There'll be People who say, oh, that was a fraud and it was a mirage and every, like, there's always going to be fucking haters. Uh, Paul Allen, who's a notorious hater, was like, oh, now Jordan Love back to being the fourth NFC North quarterback. Like, fuck off, dude. Like, it'll be fine, right? Um, And Love played well enough to win, right? And I think that's that's all you need to know. Um, And unfortunately... You know, throws the two interceptions. And had he not had the last one, I think i go four kegs for Jordan Love, even if he's not able to take the team down the field. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it was rough, uh, to say the least. Uh, also three kegs to Bo Melton. Bo Melton had one catch. It was a touchdown. Uh, it was a great catch. Uh, he got out there free and made the catch, made it happen. Um, it, I think Bo Melton has a roster spot on, on the Packers next year. I, I don't think Bo Melton's a guy they should cut or they should move on from. Uh, I think he has a lot of talent. I think he blocks. I think he's a speedster. I think you can do a lot with Bo Melton next season as your wide receiver four, wide receiver five guy uh, next year. 
Uh, also, uh, three kegs to Kashawn Nixon. Uh, he had the great return. Yeah, I thought he also played okay in terms of the secondary. He's not great, uh, but he, he did okay. He did sufficiently enough. Uh, did have, you know, a dropped interception that could have easily, you know, made a difference in this game. Uh, and n- yet another moment where had he just picked it off, who knows? Who knows where the Packers are? Again, they're probably playing Detroit. Christian Watson gets a two-keg for me. Man, what a interesting year for Christian Watson. You know, he, he really struggles to start the year. Then he kind of comes on strong, and as he's coming on strong, he hurts his hamstring. And then Jordan Love goes on an absolute tear to finish the season without really Christian Watson. And Christian Watson does come back for Dallas and San Francisco, but does, frankly, nothing. I just wonder what the future is for Christian Watson. I I think he's still a part of it. I think that the Packers offense is a lot more dynamic with Christian Watson, but I think Christian Watson needs to figure out how to get himself healthy. There have been NFL players and, and really, frankly, any sport where guys are quote unquote injury prone to start their careers. And then they all of a sudden, you know, figure out, you know, how to train their body, how to eat, how to drink, how to train, and then suddenly they're not anymore. Um, there's also guys who are great f- for a bunch of years and their body starts breaking down. Um, I still believe that Christian Watson should be a part of this team. I don't think that they should explore really moving on from anybody. So you're like, why would you draft a receiver then early on? I don't know if I would. I will talk a lot about the draft, but I know this is a really talented wide receiver class, but I just don't know if it's what the Packers need at this point. I think the guys they have all really deserve one more year together. Dobbs would have honestly been the one that I could have seen them moving on and trying to get more picks, but I don't think they'll do that. And, and that would be the one thing. If Green Bay... If Green Bay felt like, because the bottom of this draft is not very good uh, because of the lack of guys coming out, you know, early. I think there's only 54 guys that are coming out early in the draft, which is the lowest it's been in a very, very long time, which means those five to seven round will not be as good as they've been in years past. So I do wonder, will Gutekus try to get more aggressive early on and try to get more picks and trading a guy like Dobbs could potentially get you like a fourth round pick. I'm not saying they should, uh, but that's just one thing that I believe in. But Christian Watson, I don't think will will be moved on from. I think they're gonna keep riding with him and keep trying to figure out how to make it better. Josh Nyman also gets a two keg. Josh Nyman, what a fall from grace, man. I mean, they keep him, they put a second round tender on Josh Nyman as a restricted free agent last season. And now Josh Nyman's probably not gonna be part of the plan. I think Josh Nyman will get a starting job probably at a lesser team uh, or a team that's desperate for, you know, offensive tackle help, you know, honestly, maybe the Jets. But I I don't think Josh Nyman, you know, just did not have the year that I think everybody expected him to. And Rasheed Walker and Zach Tom and even Bakhtiari when he was in for the first game, like blew him away. And that's just, that's how it goes sometimes. And he really struggled, you know, coming in there for Zach Tom. He did not play well uh, in the limited minutes that he had. Uh, And then one keg, Anders Carlson, uh, not much more needs to be said. I don't really know how you can defend bringing him back. I know he's a rookie. I know he's a young guy. If you want to bring him back with a short leash, I guess I could get down with that. But I'm pretty hesitant to that idea. 
Uh, the officiating was trash. Um, Alex Kemp just continues to be one of the worst. When I saw Alex Kemp, that was the only time where I was like, okay, vibes are a little bit different now that now that Alex Kemp is calling this game. I realize it's not his crew, but that guy seemingly always fucks the Packers. I, I don't know how that happens, but I think with a Minnesota game and the wind the wind tunnel uh, when it was COVID. I think about the Denver game that he officiated, and now I think about this game. And he misses an intentional grounding on the San Francisco 49ers that was that led to to, care, to the 49ers scoring, and it should have been a loss of down. It should have been grounding on Purdy, and instead they didn't call it. And that's the difference in the game. Now, did they lose because of the officiate officials? No. They also, their heads were over over the line on the fourth and one. We called offsides for like two fucking weeks. And then we ignore the fact that the Niners helmets were over the line and should have been called for an offsides and it should have been Green Bay Packers with a first down in the goal to goal situation. But that wasn't called. Uh, there, There was a face mask that was missed on Aaron Jones. That was really bad. I mean, they were just bad officiating all over. And what I guess stings about it is I really felt like it was the worst officiated game out of the four. Like I, and that, that part burns, right? And yeah, the Packers got quote unquote screwed, but I also, I also don't know necessarily if that like, that's not the reason they lost this game. Like that, that is absolutely not the reason, not the reason they lost this game. You can't, you can't necessarily say that. You can't be like, okay, Green Bay, Green Bay lost because of the officials. To me, that is that's loser shit. That is that's absolutely loser shit. And I I really don't I don't really get down with that. Um, you know, it's it sucks, uh, but it is what it is. Uh Darnell Savage also gets a one keg for as good as Darnell Savage was last week, he was fucking terrible this week. You know, misses the interception early on. He misses the tackle on Christian McCaffrey in open field. Uh, yeah, it just it reinforces that yeah you probably need need safeties and there are guys available and I hope Packers draft him. Zach Tom's concussion was massive uh, down the stretch um, that hurt Green Bay in terms of the timing and you know love you know getting tight in that fourth quarter you know he had less time to throw the football he didn't necessarily get sacked but he had a lot of uncomfortable pockets and you just wonder. Was that partly due to Zach Tom not being there? And then the red zone flounders. Uh, Green Bay was really good at taking advantage of their red zone opportunities in this run. And then tonight, on Saturday, it, it didn't happen that way. Uh, you know, the two, the one early on, not only getting a field goal, not getting seven, and then having an opportunity to even just take three points and going for it, getting aggressive and trying to do a sneak instead of just taking the points was, it was too aggressive. It, I, I get it if you're at home. I get it if you're you, the favorite. I, I, I totally understand that. But you are this underdog where every point is gonna matter. This is the best team in the NFC. I think you just take those points and you live with it. As frustrating as it is, as much as Matt LaFleur would've got ragged by the analytic community, I think it is the smart decision. It's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. But there are some moments where you just need to go, you just need to take the points. And Green Bay in the red zone was was or, or in the 
or yeah, the red zone was really tough. I mean, they had the opportunities and they just could not finish it off. You know, their first two drives were 24 24 plays overall that resulted in a grand total of three points, then got to the red zone, near the red zone again, and then again, they had to kick a field goal uh, because they couldn't do anything around the goal line. Uh, and got six points in that first half and, and really should have had more. And it, even if one of those converts to a touchdown, it's an entirely different ball game. Uh, so yeah, that, that was tough. Um, and that, to me, I feel like that was what lost Green Bay this game. Not the officials, not Carlson. I, I think it really came down to just not executing the red zone. And that was a problem last year. It wasn't really as much of a problem this year. But that's, that's what you have to do to be the best, right? Kansas City, besides the Nicole Hardman fumble, they executed every time they got close to the red zone. Uh, Buffalo, for the most part, did, you know, leading up to that. I thought the Lions took advantage of, you know, their opportunities too. Like, it's just, those are, that's what you do as a good team. And not saying the Packers aren't a good team, but that's, that's kind of the difference between, you know, leveling up and Green Bay just didn't do that. So it's rough. We now move on to the offseason where we'll talk a lot about that, you know, this week and beyond. Get ready for the draft and we'll see, we'll see what happens with Joe Barry and everything else. All right. It was a great season. Uh, if you guys, if you joined this year because of the Packers and listening to me, thank you for all your support. We'll run back again next year and we'll be, we'll be very excited uh, while doing it. All right, let's wrap. Well, we got two, we got two more segments. So I would say let's wrap up. But the Milwaukee Bucks also played this weekend. Uh, they also played on Saturday and the Milwaukee Bucks nearly lost to the Detroit Pistons. Uh, that was a thing that nearly happened to our Bucks uh, who win 141 to 135. Uh, the Bucks are addicted to playing with their food. Uh, they just cannot help themselves. Uh, they they seemingly have to always play close games. Uh, I think if you were one of those people who bet against your team, you'd be making so much money on betting against the Milwaukee Bucks this year uh, because they've just been terrible, you know, in terms of these big spreads and these big opportunities where they should be on easy street. Like they should blow out the Pistons and they should have, they should only played, you know, the big guys should only played 30 or 35 minutes or 30, 32 minutes. And yet they're playing deep into the game and really have to grind it out and have clutch time situations with this Detroit team. And it's just, it's so infuriating because I feel like it's just one or two little things here and there. Uh, you know, if the Bucks come out with come out and be the aggressors early on, you know, this the, the makeup of this game is entirely different. If the Bucks do not sub out Giannis and Dame together to start the fourth quarter, this is entirely different. You know, they, that was they were up five heading into the break, and it, and they were kind of starting to lean on Detroit. Where it's like, all right, if you just have like one more good stretch, I think you win this game, kind of going away. And yet they bring in the basically a bench unit with Middleton and Lopez, and they get absolutely shredded. And all of a sudden, the Pistons have the lead, and the Bucks have to seemingly bail out that bench unit. And the bench unit continues 
to be a real fucking problem. The Pistons had over 60 bench points in this game. Uh, they were awesome from the bench, whether it was Arsar Thompson, Mike Muscala, Alec Burks, and whether Burks and Muscala were submitting their resume tapes to for the Bucs to come get them. Uh, Danilo Gallinari, uh, Sasser even played well. Like, look at this for a second here. Just, just walk with me here. Every Buck in starter had a plus, you know, in terms of plus minus, and plus minus is in everything. But they were all in the positives. Uh, Anadokounmpo, thir- plus 13. Lo- Middleton, plus seven. Uh, Lopez, plus 14. Lillard, plus 18. Uh, Beasley, plus 22. Now look at the bench. Crowder, minus 13. Portis, minus 12. Connaughton, minus 18. And Jackson Jr., minus one. Uh, and, you, you know, in Bobby didn't play a ton of minutes. I mean, they they really did not play the bench a lot because they, they had to play all of their starters so much and they're going to get worn down. And John Horst has to fix this bench sooner rather than later. I understand the deadline is still three weeks away. I understand that it might take time for people to make decisions. And I know the rumor was that they're kind of in on DeJounte Murray, but I mean, the only reason to get DeJounte Murray is because you think if you push Beasley to the bench and say Beasley still plays 20 to 25 minutes a game, Beasley can kind of be your version of Bobby Porter, what Bobby Portis used to be, and sort of lead that bench unit with him and Jay Crowder and Andre Jackson Jr. and potentially Bochamp. And those are, that's sort of your bench now. And that can kind of be what fixes your bench is pushing Malik Beasley back. Even though what's fascinating about the Bucks and what makes it so weird that that this these games kind of keep happening is their starting unit has the second best defensive rating out of any starting unit in the NBA. This is coming from Bucks Film Room. So it's like they're they're kind of they're they, you know like, like it's not they're not that far away from being something even though this has been a bizarre season and it, I thought that you know what Ryan Khan who or Archon excuse me who wrote the article an article kind of 41 games in to Adrian Griffin um and it's he basically broke down all these things that Adrian Griffin is is doing, and I really wish he had wrote this article and not the one in November. Like I just wish this was his first article because he brings up like the Bucks are getting so lucky on teams, you know, not making threes. What happened with the Pistons? Pistons made threes, um, and it it was just like it, I felt like there was a lot there that sort of basically outlined that the Bucks are still a team trying to find themselves. And Saturday was just another example of it. And that should have been a blowout. You're well-rested. You got your asses handed to you on Wednesday. You should come out there and fucking deliver the hammer. And instead, the Bucks are like, eh, won't play a close game today. And then they, you know, played Detroit again tonight. Now, I hope that tonight... They look at it and say, all right, we're going to give you the business. And I understand that Detroit is a little bit better than they were probably three weeks ago, four weeks ago, right? They traded for Gallinari. They traded for Muscala. 
Uh, Bogdanovich is playing. Burks is playing. Like, they have some veterans mixed in with their young guys. That said, they're still, they're still not very good. They're not well coached. They, you know, Monty Williams didn't figure out that Jaden Ivey is kind of fucking good until like three weeks ago. So they should be delivering the hammer. And I thought the Bally Sports broadcast was a fucking embarrassment on Saturday with just like, oh, the Pistons aren't as bad. Like they, they challenge the Timberwolves. They challenge the Celtics. Like, hey, guys, I know the team employs you. I know that you're getting checks from the Milwaukee Bucks, but you don't need to be on your knees that much. You just don't. It was really bad by Steve Novak. Lisa Byington, it wasn't as bad for her, but 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 Novak was terrible. And I, Steve Novak, Marquette legend, but my God, that guy is not cut out to be a color commentator in the NBA. He just, he's not good at it. And it's, it's a brutal listen, especially when you go from him to Marcus. Like he, I understand selling it a little bit that, hey, this is a different looking Pistons team and they're kind of figuring it out. They're kind of all melding together. I understand that point of it, but to just keep fucking that chicken in the fourth quarter was ridiculous um, and I hated it. So I, I sorry, I had to, <laughs> had to get that out because it was, it was so frustrating to listen to. But I, I hope that tonight's a little different. I hope that tonight the Bucs are, you know, play better. Uh, it was a great Dame game. I, I shouldn't not highlight that. Uh, Damian Lillard, 45 points in this one, made a real case to be an all-star starter, which the Bucs have pushed heavily for. Yeah, Lillard, 45, 11 assists, six rebounds uh, on 12 of 22 shooting, five of 11 from three, made 16 free throws. Uh, the Bucs got to the line 49 times in the game against Detroit. Giannis actually missed half of his free throws, uh, which isn't great. But, he would, and so Giannis could have had a, a much bigger game than, than he did. Uh, but yeah, I, it was a great damn game. Um, I hope we see more of those. He's been really playing well uh, sans that Cleveland game. Uh, it's been a really strong uh, January, kind of after he took that break uh, for personal reasons. And, you know, hopefully Lillard keeps it up. And hopefully we, we see this version of Dame, you know, down the stretch here. I hope also that his confidence doesn't waver if he doesn't get the all-star start or not. But it was a really, really good performance from Damian Lillard. And just hope we see more of him. And I, I think he knows he has these in him. And we'll see if he comes with it again uh, tonight against the Pistons. All right, let's move on to the Marquette Golden Eagles. Uh, Golden Eagles, I had similar, you know, things, feelings where it felt, it didn't necessarily feel like a loss because they did win the game. It's on the Big East, it's in the Big East, it's on the road. You're never going to apologize for winning uh, in the Big East and on the road, but Marquette did not score a bucket for the last five minutes of this game. They basically froze. <laughs> they had to limp across the finish line to beat St. John's. And weird shit happens against St. John's. I don't really know why. But Marquette pulls it out. They win 73-72 to and get that elusive Big East road victory. Yeah, Marquette led 71-58. to uh, with six minutes to go in the second half. And they were playing great. And then all of a sudden, just things started coming apart like a house of cards. And St. John's goes on this crazy run. 
I don't think they ever... Did they take the lead at one point? They might have... No, I, I don't think they ever actually got the lead. But it was... Yeah, they had two run. Marquette gets a, on a 15-2 run. Then St. John's, to close the game, is on a 14-2 run. And it was... I mean, it was an excellent finish. My heart was... It was an excellent finish in terms of if you're a basketball fan. For me, it was not. And... I think the real concern that I have is this team is an old team. This team should not necessarily have this happening to them. Um, I, I'm i a little nervous about that. I don't know. Maybe it's just the lack of road wins that it, it is why you had a situation like this and you didn't necessarily do enough to sort of get those easy buckets late. I think they were you know, kind of trying to drain the clock a little bit too much and they did it too early. And I think, you know, you learn from every game. And I think for Marquette, they have to figure out ways to get to the line earlier. They had only had, I think, three free throws, maybe less than that. I Because I remember it was weird. The free throw discrepancy was pretty bad. It ends up being what Marquette shot three free th- or nine free throws to 19 uh, for the Johnnies. And Marquette was in the paint a lot. Like they shot 39 shots inside the painted circle. A lot of those were at the rim and somehow they only ended up with nine fouls or nine foul uh, free throw attempts. Like they need to get to the line earlier. And I I think that would help some of the late game stuff. I think also, you know, Shaka taking a timeout earlier in that would have also probably helped and just settled them down. I don't know where the sort of mental midget stuff has come for Marquette because last year they had a lot of road instances like this and they were pretty gritty in those moments. And, you know, I, I accused them, I was thinking last week, where I said they kind of had lost their grit. Um, and I, I think that these were two gritty wins against Villanova and St. John's. I mean, they were down 10 points in the first half. They could have easily, it looked like, for a, a moment there in the first half, they were going to get ran off the court. They could not hit a three. They were 0 of 10 to start. They finished the game, you know, hitting, you know, 6 of 10 in the second half. They, you know, they really, you know, found that stroke in the second half. But it, there's just still these underlying concerns about Marquette. And I think, number one, it's, yeah, not hitting shots early. You know, and you can only sometimes attack the rim so much, and you gotta hit down those knock those jumpers. I think this team also is very much a if they get the swagger going, they're fine. Like that run they had in the second half looked like the Marquette last year, but they haven't had enough of those. And I don't know if that's just because they're not as good, even though their numbers look good defensively, they're not that good defensively. If it's the wrong combination of guys, I, I like David Joplin, but David Joplin has had an awful year as a starter. Uh, he just has. And he had a under 100 uh, offensive rating in this game. He had 83, or 83 was the rating. He had 13 points. He did make three threes. But Zade Low- what Zade Lowry provides, and he had 16 minutes off the bench, Zade Lowry, to me, should be starting. I don't know if it's going to happen against DePaul or against Seton Hall, but I, I think you're going to see a lot more Zade Lowry cutting into Joplin's minutes because he's a little shorter than Joplin at 6'5", so Marquette has to go small. 
uh, when Zade Lowry's in there. But Zade Lowry plus Stevie Mitchell, who's Steve Mitchell has been an unsung hero for this team. Uh, he had 12 points. He had some big buckets at the at the paint. Also grabbed six rebounds, had three steals. Uh, hit Lowry and Mitchell on the wings together are absolutely relentless. And they make it really hard for perimeter, perimeter guys to get going. And you have that on top of Kolick and Jones. And if Lowry and Mitchell are providing the defense, Jones and, and Kolick should provide the offense along with Oso and Gadar kind of doing both. And Oso uh, was incredible, you know, in terms of he had 17 points in this game. He had five rebounds, but also he was great against Joel Soriano. Joel Soriano had 11 points, only got the ball, only shot the ball five times overall. They didn't do enough to get him the ball. And a lot of that was due to Oso's defense. He did a fantastic job on Soriano and that should not go under under it but I, yeah i if is joplin really the linchpin to all of marquette's problems i i don't know but i i'm starting to feel that way because it's like okay what's different from last year to this year it's david joplin's increased minutes that would be the one and not having omax prosper and so joplin's taking those omax minutes and Omax would, you know, sometimes he hits a big bucket, but also he's defending the fucking hell on the other side of the ball. And so I, I do wonder if that is, you know, what would solve sort of these problems and kind of, you know, make it a little bit different for Marquette and have them sort of regain, you know, the, that late game swagger. But I, I hope that, you know, this is a learning experience and they can take it, you know, when they, you know, have their next tight game, which... Hopefully it's not against DePaul on Wednesday. Uh, DePaul has been terrible uh, this season. Probably one of the worst DePauls we've seen in a while. There is no reason why Marquette can't win that game by 20 points. And they should. Hopefully they take care of business and don't play with their food. Don't box it on Wednesday night. And then, you know, then they have Seton Hall. And Seton Hall is, you know, right there as a top 25 team. Now, I know they lost to Creighton, but they lost in triple overtime, right? So... I really do think that, you know, that will be a great test for Marquette on on Saturday. Should be a full barn, um, rowdy environments, kids are back. Like, it, it, that all sets up nicely for Marquette. And how do you respond, you know, or well, they, they had the Villanova game after the Butler loss, the shocking Butler loss. But can you continue the momentum there and kind of keep it going and start to get kind of on a run? And that... That's what I think we haven't seen, and that's where the worry maybe sets in about the late game struggles. Is like, will Marquette actually be able to get on a run? They haven't won three straight games since the Texas Notre Dame St. Thomas, you know, run. Um, you know, really since they're a six and one start, Marquette is what seven and five. Like that's or seven and four is, which isn't. Which isn't great, right? It's not exactly you know what you want, but the run, the run is sort of there for Marquette to get hot here in the next two weeks because you have DePaul, Seton Hall at home. I I think will be difficult, and I think Seton Hall is a different team on the road, uh, similar to Marquette uh, in that sense. But then you have Villanova on the road. Villanova is a you know that game. I think Kyle Neptune just does not know what he's doing against Shaka Smart and Nevada Smith. And so I think you can beat that. That I, Georgetown on the road is another one that you should be able to get. You have National Marquette Day against St. John's. And then you have an away game against Butler where you owe them before taking on UConn in K 
Connecticut on a Saturday afternoon. Like, so you have a stretch here of six games that really look winnable. That maybe Villanova and Butler are the two toughest ones that you have. At worst, you're four and two in that stretch. Like that, this should be, this kind of is go time now for Marquette. And I'd feel a lot better about it if they just finished that game. And they won that game by eight or nine points. Like, yeah, it's it's great. Um, but they need to make sure that they are continuing to do the things that got them to that point. Like, and I understand basketball is a game of runs, right? I get it. Uh, and St. John's, you know, is a good basketball team. And they, you know, brought this game way closer. But Marquette needed to just go back to bread and butter, go back to the pick and rolls, go back to just figuring out how to get easy buckets, attacking the lane, and trying to make it happen. And the Colic free throws were bad. Um, it just seems like every game, it, besides that Villanova game recently, it's just Tyler Cole just seems a touch off. And I, I don't know what it is. I, I don't get it. His closeouts are also terrible. Um, he His closeout against was, who was the guy who shot the last shot? Was a let him, uh, like that was a terrible closeout from Tyler Cole. Again, it, it ended up not mattering, but it was not, it was not a good closeout. And he, it's just, it, 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 we, who knows, right? And college kids are, an interesting bunch and maybe you know he'll get there and at some point he just needs to kind of get hot himself I mean it wasn't like the free well it was it really was the free throws because I was like Kolek did have 15 and 11 like he had 11 assists and six rebounds like he it was you know the free throw misses are one thing but yeah 15 points 11 rebounds six assists you'll take that really any day of the week um but the yeah, the, the free throws were, were a problem. But again, a win is a win. I can't apologize for a win um, and happy they had it. And now it just comes down to not losing to DePaul. And you can't have that happen. All right, that does it for today's show. We will be back here tomorrow. Um, and yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you then. Uh, get excited for that um should should be a good one uh we'll recap the bucks and pistons again we'll also talk about uh packer off season and discuss uh probably bring back a segment that we do uh during college basketball season uh at this time so we'll uh we'll do that and uh much more but thanks again for riding with us for the packer season really appreciate all the support whether it was on the podcast here or you know engaging with the reviews we appreciate it i'll keep yelling in my phone until until i can all right take care guys have a good one see you bye